Let's go ahead in our Bibles tonight and turn to the book of Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. We're going to be actually kind of doing an, uh, just kind of an uh, overview, a basic overview of chapters 13 and 14 today. And we're going to be talking about really the theme of facing our fears. Facing our fears. This, this month on Sunday nights, we've been kind of talking about the subject of fear, uh, how that many times in the Bible we're commanded to fear not. Uh, because the Lord is with us, be not dismayed. We have also talked uh, last week, we're in the book of Isaiah, that uh, we should fear not because God is with us. His right hand of power and authority is there, and his right hand reaches out, out to our right hand, and that we can hold him uh, and take comfort in that. What a blessing it is to know that we have a personal God who is interested in the details of our life. I think that's absolutely amazing. We do not have a God that's far off somewhere. He's on vacation. Check back in a week. You know, have you ever tried to get a hold of someone, you know, maybe for work or whatever else like that, trying to get something done? And yeah, the person's out of town. Let me just say this. When uh, we were living in Israel uh, in in, uh, September and October is the high holy days. Uh, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Feast of Tabernacles, all these things. And uh, so for what about two months altogether, it's virtually impossible to get anything done in the country because just they're on holiday. Everyone's doing their own thing or out of the office or it's just not pressing, whether it be government or most businesses on the street. So it's it's kind of an interesting, um, interesting idea. But we praise God that he is there 24 hours a day and seven days a week, 365 days a year. God is there. He's with us. And so we praise God for that. So the question is this tonight, we're going to be talking about how to face our fears. And so we are looking at here of the children of Israel as they are wandering in the wilderness and uh, they get to an area of Kadesh Barnea. And it is th- at this area that 12 spies are sent to the land of Canaan. Okay, and there's a little song, uh, 12 men went to spy on Canaan, 10 were bad and two were good. Okay, if you knew that song, it's a fun little song for the kids. But nonetheless, we know the story that there was 12 spies sent to Canaan, and there are kind of a list out of here. So let's kind of begin with um, reading the Bible for a little bit, and then I'm going to show you a few slides just to kind of bring all this into context. I like to try to, if we can, we're applicable. I try. I like to try to show us when we read a story, okay, this is what it looks like, okay, in real life. So let's look at this tonight. So beginning in verse 1, chapter 13 of Numbers, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. Of every tribe of their fathers shall ye send a man, every one a ruler or a prince among them. And Moses, by the commandment of the Lord, sent them from the wilderness of Paran, all those men that were heads of the children of Israel. And then there is a list of the twelve tribes, starting with Reuben, Simeon, Judah, Issachar, Ephraim, uh, Benjamin, Zebulun, uh, Manasseh, Dan, Asher, Naphtali, God. And so all these groups are mentioned here. And uh, really there's probably two that um, are really stand out. And that would be uh, verse six, Caleb, the son of Jephune of the tribe of Judah. And then later on you find in verse eight of the tribe of Ephraim, Oshea, the son of Nun. Who is Oshea? Joshua. Very good. How do you know that? Okay. Because in verse 16, it explains it. There are, these are the names of the men which spent, went Moses sent uh, to spy out the land. And Moses called Oshea, the son of Nun, Yahashua, Joshua. Okay? 
So that's the that's the name of him, okay? Um, we could say a lot just on the person of Joshua. To me, he's kind of an unsung hero uh, in the Bible. We know a lot about Moses. We know a little bit about Joshua. Um, but it's amazing how the Lord selected him and used him to help carry on and leading the people of Israel. That's another subject for another day, but we kind of see him a little bit uh, out here in the limelight per se. So anyways, there is a, a song that, a chorus that we sang often, especially in our church in Tennessee, my Lord knows the way through the wilderness. Does anyone know the rest of that chorus? All I have to do is follow. Okay. I don't know if that, I don't think that song is in our, our books at all. We can find it though. Um, anyways, it's, it's a great song. My Lord knows the way through the wilderness. All I have to do is follow. And so we're talking about the children of Israel. They sent the 12 spies to Canaan. We just went through that quick list and they were supposed to go and see the land. So exactly what land are we talking about here? So this is Israel's wilderness wanderings. As we see here, I'm going to turn off these choir lights just a moment. There you go. See a little bit better. Okay. So the traditional route of Exodus, and we're not going to debate on which is the real route. There's some ideas that they went even to what is modern day Saudi Arabia. That's another topic for another time. But in other words, the traditional route is they come out of Egypt, out of, remember, after the Exodus, the, the all the 10 plagues and the death of the firstborn, children of Israel go, they cross the Red Sea, and then they come down south, and 40 days later, they're at, or 50 days later, I should say, they're at uh, Mount Sinai. There is a place here, St. Uh, Catherine's Monastery, uh, that you can go there today, and that is... Um, a traditional place where Mount Sinai is anyways. Uh, it's a tradition that goes back, I forget how many years, uh, several centuries, I think over a thousand years at least that's been there. And so anyways, you come up the Gulf of Aqaba and you come here uh, to this area, Ezion Geber. This is Elat today, uh, which is the kind of Palm Beach of Israel. Uh, I love Elat. It's extremely hot, but it's, it's wonderful. I love it. Um, so with that in mind, uh, the children of Israel then come up and they come up to the wilderness of Paran, which is over here. And then the wilderness of Zin, Z-I-N or uh, T-Z-I-N. It's a Sadi. There's the, uh, the Hebrew letter that's used for that. The wilderness of Zin. So you're talking about this area here is called the Negev Desert. This is the Negev Desert. Beersheba, which is here. That is the hometown of Abraham. That's where Abraham dug a well. Okay. And there was a time from Abraham all the way to the time of uh, after King Hezekiah, before the destruction of um, of Jerusalem in the year uh, 586 BC by the Babylonians. There was a place there, um, and you can go and see that tell today at Beersheba. But anyways, from Beersheba south is the Negev Desert. Uh, is the Negev okay? So the wilderness of Zin is on the northern part of the Negev Desert, right up here, okay? So that's kind of where we're at. That is where the 12 spies are at and where they are going to, okay? So that's where, where we are at. So this is the wilderness of Zin. So location is everything. So if you go to Israel, by the way, the tour that we're uh, planning for a year from now, um, I don't think we're going to get that quite that far. So we're going to get very close to it though. Um, I have to, I forget my itinerary off the top of my head, but we're going to try to go a little bit near Beersheba, maybe a little south, so you'll at least get to see it from a distance. Uh, but anyways, it's on that trip, and let's kind of read a little bit. Um, uh, well, you know what happens. We don't have to read it. We'll get to the scripture in a moment. But what happens? The 12 spies are sent, and they go even as far as Hebron. 
Hebron is where Abraham was buried. Okay. Uh, and by the way, what's interesting is this. God promised, and we're going to talk about God's promises in a moment, but didn't God promise Abraham and his descendants that everywhere your foot tre shall tread shall be yours? And so Abraham actually purchases a cave at, called Machpelah in Hebron. By the way, that is on our itinerary going to there. Most tour groups don't go to Hebron. We're going to go to Hebron. We're going to get to see the, the tomb of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And uh, so anyways, kind of a fascinating uh, uh, visit. So we're going to go there. But nonetheless, um, the 12 spies went as far as that. But what we famously know is that they collected uh, the grapes of Eskol. Okay. Uh, look with me in verse 23. Verse 23. It says, And they came, the, the spies, they came into the brook of Eskol and cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes and bare it between two upon a staff. And they brought the of the pomegranates and of the figs. The, the place was called the Brook Eskel because of the cluster of grapes which the children of Israel cut down from thence. The word Eskel in Hebrew simply means cluster. How do you know that? Because it's it kind of explains it right here. In English, we kind of, I mean, it's, in Hebrew, it's kind of like a, a play on words. Kind of cool. But anyway, it says Eskel. So these are the grapes of Eskel. So it's a very uh, vibrant area. There are just a lot of produce, pomegranates, figs. I mean, just everything you're heart could desire was there. So what's interesting about that is that they, it says that they bore uh, the, the cluster on two staves, on, on a staff, okay? It says in verse 23. So what's interesting is that the Israel Ministry of Tourism today, look at their symbol. And by the way, it's slightly modified today, but this is the, I like this, this is the classic one. What is that? The grapes of Eskel. This is in the, this is the logo or the, the, of the, um, uh, the, the header of the Ministry of Tourism for Israel. And so, anyways, it's taken exactly from the verse we just read. Isn't that interesting? And so this is, I'm going to teach you just a little bit Hebrew now. So when we think of, when it says that spies were sent out to the land, the Hebrew word for spy here is, it's more the idea of a tour guide than a spy. Why do I say that? Remember, go, go in your mind to the book of Joshua and remember there were two spies that were sent to Jericho to see the structure and kind of look into that. And they, those guys were actually spying. They were there on a covert operation. These guys were not. They were though there to see the land, to basically take a tour. They were tour guides to bring back souvenirs. Get it? They're bringing back souvenirs. What do they bring back? Grapes pomegranates, figs, and as evidence of that. So the word spy here, it's not the connotation of a covert spy. You know, they're in a hood and, you know, trench coat and things like that. It's not like that. Okay. They were more so of a tour guide. And so they were, it's, it's really kind of interesting uh, what's taking place here. So uh, when we look at that, they found the place and they call, this is definitely the land of, of milk and honey. This is what it, the, it was, uh, it was uh, about. Um, and so they came, they brought the fruit of the land. And sure enough, this was the land of milk and honey. Okay, so look at one verse here. Yeah, uh, so yeah, look at me in verse 27. And they told him and said, we came to the land whither thou sent us. This is the 12 spies saying this now. And surely it floweth with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. So Israel, what they found out, the, the promised land, they got a glimpse. They took a little tourist track into the promised land at least as far as Hebron, okay? 
By the way, Hebron, going a little farther, remember it was the tomb of Abraham, the place of Abraham. But later on, during the, after the judges and after Saul, who made Hebron Israel's first capital? Remember? David, King David. For seven years, David's capital was Hebron. And then he moves it later to Jabus or Jerusalem. Okay. Uh, kind of interesting, little little parallel here. But what they found in that this indeed was the land of milk and honey. Uh, and that idea, you could use it literally speaking, is the land of milk and honey. I think if, of milk back in those times would be like goat milk. Honey would be like bee honey, but also be date honey. Uh, these are dates that are grown in the Neg Desert that you see there, the area that we're talking about. So dates are collected, especially in the fall of the year, and uh, they're harvested. And what a, a wonderful crop that is. Uh, dates are like God's protein bar. I'll uh, be honest with you, just very tasty. Um, maybe we'll do, maybe one night we'll do a, a little study on dates in the Bible. Not taking your wife out on a date. I'm not talking about that. If you want to get, take your wife on a date and then give her a date, you know, you'll have a double meeting. But nonetheless, then you have a double date. There we go. Maybe we should just stop. All right. <laughs> okay. So anyways, Israel is a land of milk and honey. So the idea is this, that this is a fruitful land. Is not barren. Remember, they're in the wilderness at this time, the wilderness of Zin, uh, in a Paran. They're in this area, and there's there's not much there. But they find this, the place is the land of milk and honey. And um, in this thought as well is the idea that this was a place overflowing like the Garden of Eden, where everything was provided, everything would satisfy you. God brought them a place of total satisf uh, satisfaction. That's the idea. Okay, so let's move on a little bit. But when we find the wilderness, here's another picture of the wilderness of Sin. This is the area where the children of Israel are at right now before they spy out the land of Canaan, before they go on, the, before they become tour guides. Okay, so they're here at this place. This is the wilderness of Sin. This picture here is actually just a few steps away from where David and uh, Paula Ben-Gurion are buried. If you know who David Ben-Gurion is, the first prime minister of Israel, uh, he was the longest serving prime minister of Israel up until Benjamin Netanyahu about a year or so ago. Okay. And so anyways, this here is the wilderness. In Hebrew, you call this Midbar. Midbar. M-I-D-B-A-R is the transliteration of it. So Midbar is literally God's classroom. Why did God bring the children of Israel out into the wilderness? That's a good question. 50 days after they came out of of Egypt, crossing the Red Sea. 50 days later, they arrive at Mount Sinai. And then the Bible tells us, if you look at that in Deuteronomy, that they spent about a year at Mount Sinai. That's where God gave them the law. We know the situation, the golden calf and other things that took place there. But about a year has passed. So a little over a year now is passed. And now uh, the, uh, the children of Israel are now looking for the promised land. And if you look in, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, uh, Moses kind of like, let's go up and take it. God has promised us the land. Let's go. Okay. And so, but God was teaching them lessons here in the wilderness. Because why? If the book of Numbers itself, the book of Numbers itself, we, we call it Numbers. But in Hebrew, uh, the, the Jewish people, they actually call this book by a different name. Uh, and they call it Midbar. Bamidbar is the name of it in Hebrew. And hold your place there in chapter 13. Look with me in Numbers chapter 1. Look with me in Numbers chapter 1, and let me point this out. Okay, and you're going to see why the Jewish people call it Bar. Why do they call it this? 
because in in the Hebrew Bible, um, the the Jewish people called the, the the books of the Bible a little bit different. We call it Genesis. In Hebrew, you say Bereshit. Bereshit means in the beginning. How does Genesis start out? In the beginning. Okay. Uh, the book of Exodus. We call it Exodus. In Hebrew, you call it Shmot. Shmot means these are the names. How does Exodus start out? These are the names. Okay. It's really simple. Veikra uh, in um, in the book of Leviticus. Veikra means basically just to make sure I'm telling exactly. Yeah, and the Lord called is the idea. And then now in Numbers is Bamidbar. Bamidbar means in the wilderness. How does Numbers start out? It says here, and the Lord spake unto Moses in the wilderness of Sinai. Okay, so this is what it's talking about here. So here's the idea. The word, the Hebrew word for wilderness is midbar. The word to speak, God spoke to them in the wilderness is medaber, midbar, medaber. You see, you can hear it a little bit, how similar it sounds. Midbar, medaber, midbar, medaber. See how similar it sounds? It's a play on words. Here's the point. The wilderness is God's classroom. Because why? In the wilderness, God speaks. In the wilderness, God speaks. This is why it's so important when you go through the wilderness times of your life is to listen carefully to the voice of God. This is what the children of Israel had to learn. By the way, it took them several lessons to learn it. And I don't know if it completely got to them. If you, under, if you read through that, it's just quite, uh, quite important here. But it's also important here that the idea of Midbar as well as a wilderness also carries the idea of shepherding as well. Uh, Lehidber is another Hebrew word. Lehidber means to shepherd or to guide. And it has the idea of shepherding a flock. Now, if you go into southern Israel, especially, you go even into this area. Uh, right now, it's, it's pretty barren. A few spots of green out there. Very little water. Uh, in the wilderness, you know, you need at least, in order to grow barley, which is one of the hardier crops, you need at least 12 inches of rain or so for a year. In the wilderness out here, like near the Dead Sea, you're talking maybe four inches of rain for a year. That's not much to grow anything, okay? But when it does, what does a shepherd do out in this time? He basically leads his flock to those areas of green pasture. He leads them to still waters. And it's not in one place all the time. He goes where those places are. They periodically spring up. A wise and understanding shepherd will always lead his sheep to the ways of life. Okay? So this is very important. That's what he's doing here in the wilderness. So the wilderness is God's classroom. This is what's setting us up here for the 12 spies. Okay? So what does the wilderness look like? Here's back 2007. I led a tour group there. I had a great time here. Here's me with a lot less gray hair. Okay? And a few pounds less. All right? So that was, that's me. Um, some of you might remember Alicia. Alicia, she's come here with her family a few times uh, for the Honor Israel Day. They were here for a couple other times too, um, her and her family. Remember uh, Matt, big tall guy? That's, that's her husband. So they've been here at our church a few times. And then uh, Peter Teachout, he was my best man in my wedding. And I was the best man at his wedding. He's the one who had the baby. Uh, his wife had a baby on her wedding day. That's him. All right, you can shoot him later, okay? He's a major in the army now, so he has more guns than I do. Okay, so anyways, and then Rob, Rob Finch, he was my roommate in college uh, one year. So we all got together and uh, 
had a, had a tour group. So it was a good time. But in the background is the wilderness of Zin. That's where we're at right now, the wilderness of Zin. This is, a, this is where the children of Israel are at. So it's a real place. This is the purpose of us spending a little time here at the site. Okay. So what is our big purpose here? This is when we talk about facing our fears, which the children of Israel are about to do, is that we can face our fears by believing in the promises of God. We can face our fears by believing in the promises of God. So let's talk about this here. The children of Israel, go back to Numbers 13. We're going to be kind of looking around at a few places here in chapter 14 as well. Let me just say this, that um, when the children of Israel were wandering, my wife and I, we were in Hebrew school years ago in, in Israel, and our teacher, um, our, uh, our Morah, she was talking about the wilderness wanderings. Uh, somehow, once in a while, a Bible story would come up in our, in our sessions. And she asked, why didn't the children of Israel go into the land of promise right away after coming out of Egypt? And I kind of raised my hand and I said, Ket, uh, which is sin? And she said, well, yeah. But her answer was simply this. Oh, well, because they weren't ready. They weren't ready. Um, to a degree, I would agree with that because I would only add two words. They weren't ready to believe. They weren't ready to believe. They had to be taken through God's classroom, so to speak. Now, yes, it was definitely other sin um, in regards to that. It was an interesting little conversation we had, though. But as we look at the book of Numbers, let's look at overall picture. There's a recurring theme in the book of Numbers of the faithfulness of God who keeps his covenant. And on the other side, you have the unfaithfulness of humans, of people who don't trust their God. It's really a matter of belief. That's what's going on here. Okay. And so the wilderness, like I said, is God's classroom. What are they going to learn from that? It's, a, it's interesting when we think of the desert and the wilderness, when the children of Israel, they heard the word. They became people of the word. They were given that, especially at Mount Sinai. They were given the law. Okay? So now as they come and they're learning the lessons, and here they are just a little over a year now, maybe a couple of years, they're now here at this area where they're sending spies to the land of Canaan. Now, it's interesting. According to Deuteronomy chapter 1, what's interesting is that the people asked Moses to send spies to the land of Canaan. Lord, uh, excuse me, Moses, send us some, uh, some tour guides, if you will. Let's go see what this land is all about. And so it's interesting as that went out, God, I believe this, that God allowed them to check, uh, to do this, to check their readiness in the wilderness. Are you really ready to believe me? Sometimes God allows us to do things that we want. Sometimes just to teach us the greater lesson, right? To trust in him. So very important. So upon their arrival here, they sent out 12 spies to survey the land of Canaan. Look at me in verse 18 of chapter 13. This is what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to see the land and what it is, and the people that dwelleth therein, whether it be strong, weak, or few, or many. And what the land is that dwell, they dwell in, whether it be good or bad, or what cities they be that dwell in, whether in tents or in strongholds, or what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, whether there be wood therein or not, and be ye of good courage, and bring of the fruit of the land. Now the time of the, um, it was the time of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and searched the land from the wilderness of Zin to unto Rehob, uh, as men came to Hamat. And they ascended by the south and came unto Hebron. We just talked about that. And it was there at Ahinam, Shishai, and Talmai, the children of Anak were there. 
And now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. And then we just talked about what they found there, the grapes of Eshcol, the pomegranates, and the figs. And they came in verse 25, look at this. And they returned from searching the land or touring the land after 40 days. Okay, so it took them 40 days to do all this. And so what was their response? After 40 days, the report came like this, okay? They said, yeah, surely this is the land of milk and honey. In verse 28, though, but it's a great land. I mean, it's, it's wonderful. It's beautiful. It's the land of milk and honey for sure. But, verse 28, nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. Moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwelt in the south, the Hittites and the Jebusites, the Amorites who dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. So, in other words, uh, yes, Moses, you're right. It's the land of promise. It's the land of milk and honey. It's just amazing what we brought back. But uh, we got bigger problems than that. We literally have bigger problems being Anak. Anak literally means in Hebrew, something huge, something big. Okay? And those were giants. And uh, you could maybe, when we get into night, if we go back to Genesis chapter 6, uh, the Anakims, the Nephilim, this could be a descendant of them. Possibly, there's some speculation on that. But nonetheless, these were not um, people to be pushed around. These were enemies uh, of the Jewish people, for sure. And they list all their other enemies. In other words, they said here that we, we're, we can't do this. And Caleb, verse 30, And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Talk about guy with confidence. But verse 31, But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. Okay, so what had happened is this, and oh, going on, skipping down to verse uh, 33, and we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. So in other words, they all of a sudden became afraid, and everything changed on a dime. People were excited. They're going to land of Israel. They're going to see what's brought what's going on there they came and brought back some great things but then they brought back this evil report this bad report that had taken place and what did that cause that caused fear only joshua and caleb they dissented to that but believing the report of the 10 doubters the people who did the people listen to did they listen to caleb or joshua maybe a couple did but really most of them they they basically uh listened to the t the 10 spies who had the bad report and so the people then lost heart. They raised their voices. They wept aloud. They grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Only if we had died in Egypt. But only if we had died in this desert. Look with me in chapter 14, verse 1. And all the congregation had lifted up their voice and cried. And the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. The whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt? Or would God we had died in this wilderness? Be careful what you wish for which we're going to talk about in a second. You see, the big problem that's going on here is unbelief. It's interesting here that all the 12 spies had the same facts of the land of promise, the land of Canaan. They had all the same, they, they all agreed on this, but what was the difference? Only Joshua and Caleb had faith. They all had the facts, but only Joshua and Caleb had faith. And it's also, what, what this is, is really, this lack of faith is really unbelief. Unbelief is really what is underlying our fear. When you have fears that you are dealing with, the biggest thing that's going on is, is unbelief. Is God enough? 
or or do I have enough needs? Whatever or things to meet that. Uh, in Hebrews chapter three, it basically talks about that that land of rest. They could not go in because of unbelief. Unbelief was the big reason why Israel could not enter in the land of promise. Going back to our Ulpan teacher who said the children of Israel weren't ready. Yes, they weren't ready because they weren't ready to believe. They chose not to believe. Okay. It's interesting that the unbelief of the spies, they spread to the people and God calls their fear unbelief. They failed to believe God at a critical time and they failed to trust God. So let's talk about some consequences to unbelief. Some consequences to unbelief. Look with me in verse 11, chapter 14, verse 11. And the Lord said unto Moses, how long will this people provoke me? How long will they be ere they believe me for all the signs which I had showed them? What's going on here is basically, when are they going to believe me? They don't believe me. How, how, many, uh, how many miracles, how many wonders do I have to show them before they believe me? It's interesting uh, about that. However, Moses, what he, he does, he intercedes for the children of Israel and he turns away the wrath of the Lord. Although God forgave them, what happens? What was the result? What was the consequence? Look with me in chapter 14, verse 23. This is what he says. Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers. Neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. Wow. So all these, and the Bible says that everyone from 20 years of age and upward would eventually perish in the land. It's interesting, in verse 2, they, the children of Israel complained to Moses and to God, all oh, that we would die in Egypt or we would die in the wilderness. Guess what? God says you're going to get your wish. That's the consequences of unbelief. Unbelief paralyzes you. It stops you in your tracks. And it basically what happens with unbelief, it prohibits you to obey what God has promised, to act on that. So that's very, very important for us today. So furthermore, it's interesting. Uh, furthermore, um, the children of Israel, they would wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And why 40? Have you ever thought that? Why 40 years? Uh, look with me in chapter 14, verse 34. Verse 34, okay? And um, actually, verse. look at verse 33. Uh, it says, And your children shall wander in the wilderness 40 years and bear your whoredoms until the carcasses be wasted in the wilderness. Pretty graphic. Verse 34, After the number of days which ye searched the land, even 40 days, each day for a year shall ye bear your iniquities, even 40 years, and it shall be uh, no my breach of promise. So 40 years was for a day equals a year. Okay, so 40 days searching for, out the land, that's how many years you're going to spend in the wilderness. And by the way, during that time, the generation passed away out in the wilderness. There's only two people who survived that. Who was that? Joshua and Caleb. Even Moses, because Moses later disobeys, okay? But Joshua and Caleb, God permits them to go into the land of promise. Uh, very interesting to see that, okay? God gave them what they asked for, Okay. And so, uh, in addition, the ten. What happened to the other ten spies? Anyone remember what happened to them? They eventually they died of the plague. God took them out pretty quickly. So they were the first fruits, if you will, of that of that generation that would die off in the wilderness. It was those ten other spies. Uh, so only Joshua and Caleb survive. Why? Because they were faithful. They believed God's promises. So unbelief here. This is interesting. Unbelief is manifested in our attempts to gain God's blessings without him. Listen to that again. The, the people, they suffer with unbelief. Unbelief. They were hesitant to, to trust God. And in that, they were fearful. But unbelief is manifested or is demonstrated by our attempts to gain God's 
blessing without them. We kind of make up for it because uh, in verse uh, 39, chapter 14, verse 39, and Moses told these sayings on the people of Israel, and the people mourned greatly. And they rose up early in the morning and got them out of the top of the mountain, saying, Lo, we be here, and we'll go up into the place which the Lord had promised we have sinned. So they're going to kind of overcompensate, but they're going to do it without God's blessing. God didn't tell them to go up again. God simply says, trust me and obey me. So that's what's taking place here. When faced with the consequences of our fear, sometimes we overreact. Sometimes you're dealing with fear and uh, say, well, I'm going to make it up. I'm going to really try hard this time. And sometimes we overreact. God told Moses to take the children of Israel southward, south by the Red Sea. That's in verse 24. Okay. However, when the people heard this, they murmured. And what did they do? They did the opposite to redeem themselves. So they're going to go back and we're going to take the land. Moses said, don't do it. You're not going to succeed. And what happened? The children of Israel were defeated. Those who tried to go back up to the land. And we see that at the end of verse uh, of chapter 14. So here's the thing. Well, well, the places where God leads us, does he not provide for us? Absolutely. Uh, I like this saying. I've used it several times. God's work done in God's way will not lack God's provision. Okay. How important is for it to trust God and not be fearful in facing our fears? Uh, yes, there's much to be afraid of. There are giants in the land. We're grasshoppers on their side. They're stronger than us. They have bigger cities than us. We can defeat them. It's easy in our flesh when we don't trust God to become afraid. How do we face our fears is basically by trusting God, believing his promises. Uh, this statement has been around for a while. The will of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. Very, very important. God promised them a victory and the land he commanded them to go was ready. It was already theirs. Their promise is good as now. God gave it to Abraham, much less to the children of Israel. They simply had to trust and obey, but they did not do this. God will never lead us where his grace cannot provide for us and his power cannot protect us. God gave them a simple job to do. He allowed them to go in. And when that bad report came back, the people were affected by that. By the way, I think it's important here. Let's be careful of our testimony. Sometimes the word of the actions we say, if we are fearful, fear is contagious, isn't it? Fear, especially when you've got enough people doing it, fear is contagious. And if we don't check ourselves with the truth, the truth, especially of God's word, it's easy for us to go astray and to become paralyzed and be focused on other things. There's a lot of news stories right now. I'll be honest with you, a lot of people are afraid. What about our economy? What about our government? What about this? What about that? And we kind of throw up our hands in the air and we get frustrated. We get fearful. But folks, what should we do? Simply trust. How do we face our fears? By trusting in the promises of God. So my question is this. Did God not provide for them? Did God not show his power and demonstrate that before the children of Israel? How did, how did God do that for them? Well, he took them out of Egypt after 10 plagues, the death of the firstborn, brought them through the Red Sea, gave them the law at Mount Sinai. He provided manna and quail the wilderness. Their clothes and shoes did not wear out. He guided them by a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud by day and by night. He even defeated them over the Amalekites and other enemies that they had. God did amazing wonders, and the children of Israel still chose not to believe. It's interesting. How much we, when we see God's hand at work in our lives, do we still are hesitant to believe? Indeed, the children of Israel have seen the powerful hand of God at work. Yet many, like many people, they walked by faith and not by sight. Or say, they walked by sight, not by faith. Give that around, okay? Their unbelief, therefore, displeased God, right? What is the Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6? Without faith, what? It's impossible to please God. Very important to understand that. 
Their failure to believe in God, God's word, kept them from entering the promised land. This truth has never changed. So what is keeping you from entering God's blessing? Probably our fear. How do we face our fear? We can face our fears by believing the promises of God. That's really the lesson that we have tonight from this passage in the wilderness of Zin. When we go through that wilderness, it's God's classroom. What is he teaching us? And guess what? For the next 40 years, God would teach lessons over and over and over again to the children of Israel. And many times they had to retake those lessons. They had to retake those exams and learn more and more what is to trust them. 40 years later, God kept his promise, didn't he? And he brought them into the land of promise. And praise God for that. God does keep his promises. All we are supposed to do is the song says, trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to what? Trust and obey. How do you face your fears? We face our fears by believing the promises of God. Very, very good lesson Very that we need daily in our lives today.